Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Podcasting. Podcasting from Sydney, Australia. This is the Prime Podcast. Independent, unfiltered, and uncensored. Beginning in three, two, one. Senator Malcolm Roberts, thank you very much for joining me. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Chris, and thanks for the invitation. It's a delight to be here. Out of all the guests that I put forward to join the show, uh, mate, you were probably 80% of the request. So um, there's a lot of people interested in, in hearing what you have to say about the current situation. Uh, you've obviously been very... Go ahead. No, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that because our message is basically the same message we've had ever since I've been in the Senate. And that is, it, it's really everything is about control versus freedom when you look at human society, control versus freedom. And what we're seeing around us is a big attempt to control. Yeah, and I think that's becoming more and more evident as the weeks go by. Now, uh, in New South Wales today, we, we touched on it briefly before, there's been new restrictions put into place, uh, which are extremely concerning. Uh, one being that we're now joining Melbourne with the curfew. So we're not allowed outside between 9pm and 5am. Oh, so so last yesterday, before that happened, I was mentioning to someone from Victoria saying, your virus has mutated to become a nighttime virus, night yes. only. And he said, yeah, it's very smart. And I said, it's also smart because it, it can recognise the Murray River and it won't cross over. Oh, good. But it looks like it's learned how to cross the river and it's, it's now in New South Wales, nighttime virus. It must have learned, I took some swimming lessons. <laughs> I swam across the Murray River and now it's in New South Wales. So I think we'll just refer to it as the boogeyman variant. Boogeyman, yeah, each one's scarier than the last, you know. It only and comes out people, at night time. <laughs> we get people like Ray Hadley saying, it's 70% more more transmissible than the previous one, or it's 80% deadlier. Oh, my goodness, I've had a gut full Hysteria. of this one. Yeah. So uh, that, that's, that's one of the measures they've put in place. They've also put a mask mandate across the entire state, uh, even regional New South Wales, uh, where if you're outdoors for any reason other than exercising, uh, you're required to wear a mask, even though, as I'm sure you're aware, there hasn't been a, a single case that I know of or that I've heard that has been transmitted outdoors since the beginning of the pandemic. So, again, it's just uh, another freedom that we've lost. And I'm sure you've worn masks. So you can imagine what it's like walking down to your local shop. I live probably 500 metres from my local supermarket, so I'm very lucky I can walk there. But wearing a mask and going for a walk, it's, it's not practical for a lot of people it's going to cause more uh, damage than, than than benefit well um, chris it's a it's a massive conditioning tool because when you know it, it's eerie when you see i mean we're used to seeing faces and eyes dogs and cats and horses can recognize our facial expressions they know where, what what that means some superior mammals can do that and we do that but when you do this you can't really tell unless you look pay close attention to my eyes yeah. and you can't really tell whether I'm a threat or not. And deep down, that's what everyone's looking for because we're still animals, you know, uh, mm. at, at, at heart in that sense. But the other thing it does is it, it reminds you when you're walking down a street in Brisbane or Sydney that everyone's got a mask on. It looks terrible. It looks scary. And it's designed to create fear. It's designed to keep you instilled in a state of fear. It's absolute bullshit. I think the same about the military patrolling the streets. Uh, in Sydney, that, that's another, in my opinion, fear tactic um, that, as you said, when we see things like masks straight away, uh, subconsciously, 
we we see that as danger. There must be something out, a virus or something that's going to kill us, and it triggers something. I uh, said subconsciously uh, that keeps us in a constant state of fear. And the same can be said with the military. When you walk down the street, I saw the military two weeks ago at the testing, one of the testing clinics uh, near me, just going up to the cars and having a chat to the people in the car through the windows. Now, I don't know what they were saying or what the discussion was, but again, it's fear. You see the military out in the streets, doesn't matter where it is, straight away you think danger. There's a war going on or about to be blasted. You think the worst. So, you know. There's something else going on too there, Chris. Um, I don't know if you're aware of a book called Emotional Intelligence, I think it was. I read it some years ago by Daniel Goleman from memory. Um, we've got two basic ways of thinking. I'm being very simplistic here, but we've got this, and our brain is structured um, differently from all the other animals. We've got at the core of our brain, we've got a, pri a very primal um, instinctive uh, thing that's called an amygdala. Okay, and it's, it's only the shape of an arm and about the size of an arm. And so if, if what I remember is correct. And then we've got another brain around that, uh, another part of the brain around that, and another part of the brain around that. And mammals have got that too, but the reptiles don't have it. And then we humans have got this neocortex up front where we, we can work through things uh, rationally and logically. So if you go back to the amygdala, um, our ancestors had that. And we wouldn't be here if they didn't have it because that just processes fear and instinct. It just says, hmm, something, I just heard something step on a twig. I bet it's a saber-toothed tiger. I'm out of here, right? You didn't go through the brain. You didn't go logically twig, broken, saber-toothed tiger, saber-toothed tiger to eat humans. I better start running because I'd be meat. If, that, if I'd worked through that logically, I'd be meat. The amygdala processes very, very quickly, but it bypasses the rational part of your brain. So if you can keep people in fear, you can destroy their thinking capability for rational thought and rational uh, decision-making. And that's very, very important. A lot of propaganda is based on doing that because you know we were talking before you turned the recorder on um, that throughout human history, people have been trying to control others. And if I point a gun at your head, you know that I've got control of you, but you also know that I'm a nasty piece of work. Now, if I can do it by shutting you up through other means, such as smearing you by calling you an anti-vaxxer or a climate denier or whatever, then people actually stop talking and everyone else then doesn't hear their voice and they think, well, the government must be right. No one's speaking against them. I'm talking about serious scientists who suppress their voice because they're afraid of being called out and given a name that they're not. You know, I'm getting, perhaps we can talk more about the attitudes to vaccine because I don't care what your attitude towards vaccine is. You can have whatever you want. I'm only concerned about being labeled something to shut your voice down because that's control. It's naked control, but people can't see it and they don't perceive it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the term anti-vaxxer, to call someone an anti-vaxxer because they don't want to take a particular vaccine, like myself, not that I had a choice in the matter, but I had all my vaccines as a child. Um, and, and but we're talking two very different types of drugs. We're talking about ones that have been proven to be effective over many, many years. And we're talking about a experimental vaccine and people can dispute that uh, all they like, but the fact is this is experimental, exactly what it is. It's been uh, given provisional approval only and it's given provisional approval before testing is complete. 
in my my understanding of the federal government in this country is that they have relied simply on what the vaccine manufacturers have told them in writing and my understanding is that the vaccine manufacturers have said the results may be different from what we anticipate i understand the government's going to indemnify them but coming back to your term anti-vaxxer you know there are five roughly i mean there are many different responses to to um an offer to be vaccinated the first one is vaccine compliant stick it in me quick i need that okay if that's your reaction so be it go to it go and get your injection some are vaccine reluctant some people are saying yeah i don't know it's a bit dodgy but they won't let me in to see granny in the aged care facility unless i have it so yeah okay put it in the third one a vaccine hesitant you know i'm a bit concerned they haven't given me the right information they've contradicted themselves about the vaccine itself there are people dying overseas what's going on so i'm hesitant and then there's another group that's saying vaccine reluctant hey i'm not going to do this until you give me about five years seeing the impact on others i want to see because they haven't done the testing on the female reproduction system they haven't done the testing on intergenerational so some people can say i'm reluctant i'm uh, resistant and others are vaccine opponents. I'm not going to have the vaccine. That's it, they say. Well, good on them if that's their choice, because the important thing here is freedom to put what you want to put into your body. It's your body, your choice. And so you can be vaccine hesitant. You can be vaccine reluctant. You can be vaccine opponent. You can be vaccine compliant. You can be vaccine resistant. Whatever you want, it's yours. And don't yeah. label someone because they have a different opinion from you. Yeah, and from what I'm seeing, I may be wrong, but from what I'm seeing and the people that I'm speaking to, I think a lot of people fall into that second category. You had a name for it. What was the second category? Vaccine reluctant. Yes. So a lot of people are going ahead and getting vaccinated because of the freedoms that they've been promised. As you said, maybe wanting to go and visit their grandparents in an aged care facility, maybe wanting to, well, as a term of their employment, they have to get it done. I don't know there's a great deal of people, well, certainly not, the majority of people that are going out and just saying, yep, just, just give it to me, just give it to me. I really <laughs> feel like the majority of people sort of fall in that second category where they, if they had a choice, they would may or may not sort of a bit more skeptical, but because they've been promised freedoms and as you said, are visiting grandparents and working, they're going ahead with it. I'd say the majority of people that I've spoken to anyway, fall in that second category. What's your thoughts on that? Are you sort of saying yeah, the same thing? I- I tend to make answers based upon hard data or yeah. objective facts or what I've actually seen. So I can't really comment other than give you an opinion that's uninformed. And I would tend to agree with you because people were very, very reluctant when, when we first started hearing the contradictions from the government. People under 60 should not take AstraZeneca. No, people under 50 should not take AstraZeneca. No, people under 40 should not take AstraZeneca. Oh, no, she's all right now. People, everyone can take AstraZeneca. And the chief medical, uh, chief health officer in Queensland said, no, children, uh, people under, under 40 should not be given it. Oh, kids should not be given it. But now we see mass injections of kids. I mean, there's so many contradictions. When, when this virus first hit, we didn't have these, these masks uh, in, in readily available. Oh, no, you don't need masks, say the experts. Oh, no, you don't need masks. They're no good. Don't worry about them. As soon as they come into mass, massive production, you must put them on. You must. They're essential. You're jeopardizing other people. And then we've got a vaccine that uh, is plummeting in efficacy. Already, Israel is confirming that the most vaccinated, one of the most vaccinated countries on earth, over 80% vaccinated. Um, 
and and they're now seeing that the that the Pfizer vaccine plummets in efficacy after just a couple of months, down to you were saying a little while ago, seventeen percent. The figure mm-hmm. I saw was thirty nine percent. That's probably America. Um, so the studies are being done by scientists, medical scientists, proving that the Pfizer vaccine is is not effective after a very short time. And then we've got Pfizer admitting that itself and Pfizer now making open admission that it's going to the Food and Drug Administration to get authorization to give people a third booster. How many of these boosters are we going to need? But the point is that the government itself, through its own contradictions, has made people very reluctant to get it. But the government has also said, if you want access to services, if you want access to food in France, if you want to go to the supermarket, if you want your livelihood to continue with the job, get your jab. Uh, and that, that's rubbish. That, that's denying people a fundamental uh, human right. And, and you mentioned a, a minute ago about they give us freedom to do this. When someone gives you freedom to do something, you're not free. That's if exact, you need yeah. someone else to give you permission to do something, you are not free. This whole exercise, the government has blatantly been saying, governments have been blatantly saying, we'll lo- loosen up some freedoms when you do this, when the jab rate gets to 80%. That, that's bullshit because they're not giving you freedom. They're destroying your opportunities to live properly and then giving some back to you once they choose. This is a, this is a tin pot dictatorship. You know, um, yeah, it's just a, we're, we're on a slippery slope here. We are. And just yesterday I contacted, uh, so I had a bit of a family issue in the past week where I had... Um, I won't go into details, but uh, I had to go to the hospital as a support person. Um, and what I went through in that hospital, now I'm talking to you now, I think it's quite clear that I'm not sick, right? And <laughs> right. so and this is another point is that the World Health Organization, look, as far as they're concerned, my personal opinion on them is that they're a, a highly corrupt or a body. I watched a video the other day on YouTube in where um, the World Health Organization was the assistant was speaking to an interviewer from Hong Kong and she was trying to mention Taiwan. And the, the guy from uh, who refused to acknowledge Taiwan, refused. And, and to the point where he actually hung up on her and she had to call back and ask the same question. And he wasn't interested in talking about Taiwan. He said, oh, let's you know move why? On to the Taiwan next is the best in the world. Taiwan has handled this virus better than anyone else in the world. Yeah, that's right. And I think that just goes to show uh, what's happening. But, you know, even the World Health Organization has stated on their website, stop testing healthy people. Stop doing it. It's on their website. It's They're advising governments and other bodies to stop testing healthy people because the only time you should test somebody for the virus is if uh, they've been in contact, close contact with somebody with the virus or they've got symptoms of the virus. Other than that, stop testing people because all it's doing is costing money I've heard, I don't know, maybe you can elaborate on this, that it's about $200 a test. Is that right? That's the figure I've seen in the media. So I, yeah. I, I haven't verified it. Yeah. So well, let's just say, well, let's just go off that until we hear anything further. But um, even if it's $100, $50, doesn't matter. They're doing hundreds of thousands of these tests uh, daily. But New South yep. Wales do well over 100,000 tests per day. Um, and all it does really is, is cost money. And as per the World Health Organization, the reliability of the test is up for debate. I'm sure you're aware of that also. So, yeah. 
how many of these, I don't know how many cases we have today, let's just say 600 and something, because I've noticed somewhere around there, how many of those 600 cases are actually positive for the virus and how many are false positives? I know in the ACT a few weeks ago, they had 12 positive tests. They retested those tests and 11 were negative. Only yep. one were positive. Um, so th th this is what's going on around us. So me, for example, I'm considered, well, the government deemed me to be an essential worker. Uh, so I have to get tested regularly as per uh, my employer, uh, which I think is every three days, every seven days, depending on where you live, every, whether it's every three days or every seven days. <laughs> but you're testing healthy people for no reason. There's no reason. There's no science behind it. Don't, don't do it. So when I went to the hospital, um, back to the original point, they make you do a test. As soon as you want to walk into sort of any ward, you've got to undergo a test. I was also told... Hang on, uh, that, how, how quickly do you get the result back? Um, I have no idea because I haven't done it. I've, I've sort of given my school okay. and just wanted no further part of it. But, um, well, I think it's actually quite similar to the regular test because I know they send you a link um, in which you've got to click on it to get your results. I'm pretty sure from someone I know it was the next day. So I think it's quite similar to the regular testing. So what's the point of the testing you? So, so the testing is only for... Uh, knowing that you might have been positive when you walked in and you may be spreading it to someone else, not to say, okay, you have failed the test, therefore not going to let you in. Yeah, no, that's right. So it's more of a, I would imagine, a, a measure where they can go back and say, hold on, this person's come back positive. He was here yesterday. But by then, in their words, it'd be too late. It'd be yeah. everyone in the world would be affected. The hospital would be shut down. Yeah, it'd be. But anyway, so um, based on that, because I know our government do rely on, the World Health Organization for advice. So I'm wondering, well, hold on, okay, if the World Health Organization is saying stop doing it and the government are insisting on doing it, well, I want to know where the government are getting the information from. And the fact that when I'd said to them that, because I know I'm not allowed into the pediatric unit. So if my child was to have an accident, uh, God forbid that happens, if there were to be an accident there in the pediatric unit, which is, as you know, a standard unit just for children, nothing special about it, just a kid's ward, um, only one parent is allowed in that ward. And that's not at any given time, that's all together. So it's almost like you've got to nominate either the mother or father and the same person can only attend. The other parent isn't allowed to attend at all. Um, and the same thing with the special care unit for babies. If you would have a child that requires special care, and we know this can go on for three to six months, a, a father could potentially be refused access to his new baby for however long they're in that special care unit. And they made a few, I actually got a call back from somebody from New South Wales Health. And they said, yeah, well, listen, we, we do give you permission to go to certain parts. And I said, do you understand what you've just said to me? Do, do you hear what you're saying? You're telling me as a father, I have no right. I have to get your permission if I want to see my child. I said, do you not understand what you've just said? It goes against Good every human right um, possible. It's, 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 it's disgusting what's happening. And even if I get tested and I'm negative, they still won't give me access to the ward. So if, if I was to provide them with a negative result on my phone from three, which I've actually asked the question, three hours prior to me wanting to go in, surely they'd let me, I'm negative, surely I could go in. No, it doesn't matter. Negative, positive, you're not allowed in. So you use so, the key word, control. This is about control. It is about control. And that's just an example of a hospital. So unless I, I need to go to the hospital, I won't be going to visit anybody anytime soon because it's just a, it's a shit fight. Yep. Uh, the process, yeah. it's disgusting. 
But, you know, the World Health Organization, I agree with you. It's a dishonest, crooked, corrupt, incompetent body. It is, that's, that's beyond doubt. That is, that is for sure. It kept it quiet, kept the virus in China quiet, and that enabled the virus to get out and get a run on uh, in, in other countries outside of China. If the World Health Organization had been truthful, they would have told the world about it and they would have enabled the world to get just put borders around China. The World Health Organization, I think in December of 2019, said there's no human to human transmission of this virus. That's what they said. Rubbish. The World Health Organization, though, even so I always use the word even it's a it's a terrible organization, but even the World Health Organization is now saying that lockdowns are a brutal instrument, a blunt instrument that should be used only initially to get control of a virus and then stopped. Do not use lockdowns after that. So if that's the case, and it does make sense, you use a lockdown to get control of a virus, and then you start managing it. If a state goes into a, a lockdown, then it tells me that that state hasn't got control of the virus. It is not managing the virus. And when you think about it, the virus is managing the state because that, that's the reality. So we have now got 18 months with this virus in this country. There's still no data in the public domain from the government. There is still no plan. That's quite obvious. If they had a plan, they'd all be working down the same direction and happily with, happily with it, challenging each other maybe. But all we've got now is, is state governments blaming each other, criticizing each other, criticizing their own people, criticizing the federal government, blame going every which direction you, you can imagine. We haven't got any consistency, con consistent approach. We've now got one thing starting to happen and that is instead of lockdowns being let go, we've now got lockdowns being brought up if one person it, it tests positive, one person, ACT lockdown, Darwin lockdown. Um, we, we've got lockdowns just happening capriciously and lockdowns are actually harmful in in uh, in the united states you can have you're going you've got a very good live experiment going on it's a, the united states is a laboratory for this because some of the states have used lockdowns some of the states are not using lockdowns the ones using not using lockdowns are doing as well as the states using lockdowns and in some cases doing better for example um you've got florida where there's a huge proportion of elderly people vulnerable people that's doing better than California, where they've been in perpetual lockdown since day dot. And the other thing about lockdown, um, Governor DeSantis from Florida, he had a lockdown in the early days when everyone was panicking. They didn't know how to manage this. But within a very short time, he called off the lockdown and he apologized to the people of Florida and said, I'll never, I'll never impose another lockdown. They're not working. You've got states next to each other, like North and South Dakota. One of them is locked down. One of them's not. There's no difference in the health, in the health treatment. And I would put the case to you, Chris, that lockdowns, in the absence of a, of a plan, do enormous damage. And, and even with a plan, they do enormous damage. They're stopping treatment. They're stopping people from going to seek treatment for conditions they have already. Nothing to do with the virus. They're stopping people going to the doctors to get diagnosis. They're stopping people getting surgery that's needed. And so these things fester and grow and we'll have a bigger problem. They're stopping kids from getting exercise, going out in the sun and getting vitamin D, which is, which is uh, thought to be, be uh, beneficial for fighting this virus. 
So they're causing mental health problems. There's been an increase in suicide, a marked increase in suicide, a marked increase in attempts to, attempted suicide. This is not good. And not only that, they're destroying the economy and the future health depends upon the economy now and in the future. We can't afford certain things because we're going broke. That's going to cripple our ability to treat people properly. You're in your field of, of mental health. You, you know the impact of these lockdowns. It's shameful. And, and so we've got enormous mental health issues coming. We've got enormous physical health issues coming. We've got the crippling of our health system or handicapping of our health system. And they're not factored into this. We've got Premier up here in Queensland, Anastasia Palaszczuk. She has said from the early days, she said to the chief uh, health officer, okay, we just take note of what you say. The chief health officer, to her credit, has said, I'm responsible for one thing, physical health not responsible for the economy, not responsible for mental health. She does makes her decisions very narrowly. So who the hell is running the state? No one. No, it would appear not. And we're dealing with the same thing in New South Wales. It's yeah. very similar. We've got uh, Brad Hazard signing off on health orders. Now, I've, I've gone to great lengths to try to find sources of health orders. Now, I'd like to think uh, I'm extremely reasonable. And if a rule or restriction is put in place, I follow that if it makes sense. For example, I don't go through red lights, not because of the, the, the punishment, but because it makes sense. It's the wrong thing to do. You can hurt yourself or hurt others. Logical. Now, same thing with social distancing. It makes sense. The further you are away from somebody, the less likely you are to transmit the virus. Logical. Hey, mate, we... when, when I used to be very sensitive at catching colds until I got to about... Um about 40 years of age and, and I've been really good because of some, some work I've done on that. You've got, in, you've got in if, reverse. If you, if you had a cold, I would not go near you as a kid because I was a sucker for catching colds. I would not go near you. I'd stay my distance and I'd be very careful. You know, that's, that's common sense. And, and by the way, the common cold is a coronavirus. Yes, that's right. It's um, quite amazing that you, um, you sort of worked in reverse. Normally the older you get, the more susceptible you are to, to viruses you've done the opposite yeah well what happened was i think there's a big emotional uh aspect that people neglect and um around about when was that yeah about 40 40 years of age i started doing a lot of intense work internally you know consciousness and um spirit and so on and and that i, I would not survive in parliament without it but um so i'm very thankful for that but what i was told by some people uh, and this is not proven scientifically but we do know our immune system uh improves when you've when you've got that that better understanding of what's going on inside um and i've had hardly any cold since i started doing one intensive thing that i that i do continue to do it's an intense form of meditation i do that for an hour and a quarter each every day and i'd like to do it for two hours but um so, so that um and a couple of other things have enabled me to be almost i can i can have kids coming up to me snotty nose little little toddlers you know and sneeze on me and carry on i don't get it and if if i do catch a little it might be the back of the throat it might be a little bit sore and i'm thinking oh no here goes the cold and it's gone so um there's a big emotional aspect to health as well and and you know that from what the work you got so we're we're crippling that that health aspect um by these stupid lockdowns yeah that's the, the fact that we're essentially restricted from well, here's another example. Yesterday, I actually posted it on my Instagram. I'm not sure if you saw it uh, inside Big W, where 
it was open to the public, but that actually sort of um, you couldn't get to what they deemed to be non-essential departments. Uh, but you could say that yeah. sort of the store was broken up into to parts um, and it was based on, in their words, the government's health advice, not their own interpretation. Now, what I, why I recorded it was because the lolly, the confectionery aisles, the, the soft drink aisles, being genuine, uh, you, that's considered essential. But then when I went up to the sports section to uh, look at push bikes, because I, I don't want to buy a push bike online because I want to sit on it, see how I feel, and which I think is pretty normal. Um, they won't let me in there because it's considered non-essential. So a push bike and other uh, health and fitness, uh, whether it be a treadmill or whatever it may be, uh, is considered non-essential, but the confectionery aisle, essential. So that's the problem at the moment. It's, it's If it's in the interest of public health, you would assume that, you know, they'd make the right decisions in terms of what to keep open and, and what to close. Uh, so what does itself, this do for your... What does it do for your level of confidence in our so-called health uh, regulators, the health, the people who make the health directives? It destroys my confidence in their in their ability to make good decisions. Well, they're not making good decisions. It seems like, exactly. uh, from my perspective, they're they're doing everything they can. They're throwing everything they can at uh, preventing the spread of the virus. Everything, things that aren't necessary and that aren't backed by science, just to sort of put a blanket over and just go. You know what? We're going to do everything we can do to stop the virus. But again, um, there's a few things that, that I've, I've looked online and I've, I was advised to go on the health website by the lady I spoke to uh, from New South Wales Health in regards to the hospital rules and restrictions that I was mentioning before. And I went to the website, done what she told me to do. Um, and I could not find a single source of, of from a study or from anything that look, proved to me the reason why these things are in place. When this virus first came, uh, threatened our, our country, um, we were shown every night huge footage of um, tens of thousands of people reportedly dying in France and Italy and Spain and China. And terror was everywhere. You know, it was, it was really um, beaten up. And we now question some of those deaths because they weren't deaths from COVID. They were deaths with COVID. But that, that's now starting to emerge um, as a big number. So anyway, we were, in, in this country, we were worried about it. So it arrived in this country and the government had a, an emergency session or was, I think it was called emergency session of, of parliament. It was a single day sitting, minimize the risk, all come down there, have a single day and don't mix and bugger off home quickly. So in that single day session, the first one, I remember these dates so clearly, Monday, the 23rd of March, 2020, we were invited in and we passed the job seeker package. And then the next month we had another single day session. Parliament was suspended for the whole period, but we had another single day session to pass the job keeper. Okay, the job keeper was there to take care of uh, people who were going to be hit, hit by lockdowns. Okay, I get it. So what I said to the government, and I stood up in the Senate and said this on the first, first time and the second time, look, we don't know a lot about this virus. It could be a huge threat. It most likely is. We don't know. You're in charge of the government. You've been elected to do that. You're in the hot seat right now. You get on with the job. We'll just wave all this money through and let you get on with it. It's like if someone attacked you in war. You're not going to quibble. You're going to say to the government, get on with the job of defending. But I said... 
we expect you to come up with the data. We expect you to come up with a plan and I will hold you accountable. We have still to this day not seen the data. We have still to this day not seen a plan for managing this virus. So let me walk you through, I'll make a note here and come back to the point about data, but also plan. So in Senate estimates, which is where we can grill the bureaucrats and the ministers, um, I asked the chief medical officer, the chief, uh, the, sorry, the, the head of the Therapeutic Goods Administration and the secretary for the Department of Health, basic questions. I said, let me pass by you some strategies that I think should be in a virus management plan. Can you tell me whether or not they should be in the plan? Sure. First one is lockdowns. You know my thoughts on lockdowns, but they're necessary initially and never again. So anyway, they said, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a component for, for a plan. Good. Okay. Next one, uh, testing, tracing, and quarantining, where you test people and you, you trace their movements if they've, got, if they've got the virus. So you can keep control of the virus. And above all, quarantining the sick and the vulnerable. Yes, yes, that's a valid strategy. Third strategy, um, restrictions such as social distancing and masks. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I don't think masks are very effective, but I'm just raising that as, as one sort of restriction. Yeah, that you should have some form of restrictions. Okay. Fourth one, vaccines. Yep, yep, they say no problems with vaccines. They should be, they should be part of the strategy. Next one is the use of antivirals to cure people who have it as a treatment and to be a prophylactic to prevent transmission. Yes, yes, that should be part of it. So then I said, is there anything else? And they said, yeah, personal behavior. And I said, what do you mean? I was things like good hygiene, washing your hands. Oh, okay. So I said, okay, but well that's, that's number six. So then in May, um, Senate estimates this year, I said, you know, I've, I've thought, I asked the same people the question. I said, I've thought of one more, health and fitness. Yes, that's a valid strategy. Quite okay, true. so we've now got seven strategies. And I said to them, is there anything on my list of seven that should not be there? No, every one of them is valid. Is there anything that I've missed? No, nothing missed. That's your plan. So tell me, Chris, where the hell have you seen a plan that has those seven strategies to it? These are the senior people in the health bureaucracy in this country. And their own government is not doing most of those things. The federal government is chasing vaccines, 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 vaccines. They're actively suppressing the use of antivirals. The, the state governments are using lockdowns only. And we've already discussed that that's not wrong anymore. It's doing more damage than good. And the federal government's funding the use of lockdowns. So we've, we've ignored completely. I, and that was another thing. I raised the fact that... Um, Countries like Taiwan and South Korea at the time were doing a pretty good job compared to the Europeans of managing the virus. If we look at Taiwan, up until a few months ago, they had just seven deaths. Their population is 24 million, almost the same as Australia. They're crammed together in a tiny island, so they've got very high population density, which means high transmissibility of the virus. They're close to China. They have a lot of interactions with mainland China. They should be having being crippled by it, but they're not. They didn't even shut their economy down. So they hardly missed a beat with their economy because what they did was they said, you're sick, quarantine. You're vulnerable, quarantine. That's it. And everyone else stay at work because that's the best thing you can do. And so what they did was they have a heavy testing program. South Korea, what they used to do is workplaces would come in and they'd test your temperature. If you had a hot temperature, 
they'd say, go over there and get a, a virus test. But if you had a normal temperature or a cold temperature, get to work. And so these countries didn't miss a beat. Now, Taiwan had a big breach in its quarantine procedures, and they, they ended up uh, getting up to about 600 deaths, which is still a long way short of ours. Mm -hmm. Similar population, much, much heavier um, uh, challenge with, with the virus than we have. And yet they're doing far better than we have. And when they had that major breach and got a huge number of cases, they very quickly got control of it again because they have proper testing, tracing and quarantining. I mentioned to the government back in March last year, have a look at Taiwan, have a look at South Korea. They're doing very, very much better than, than the Europeans. Yet the World Health Organization shuts down any talk of Taiwan. And, and no one here has done anything about it. I mean, you learn from other people. So then they're not implementing the second strategy properly. The third strategy, restrictions. Well, they're big on restrictions. The fourth strategy, vaccines, that's all they're doing. The fifth strategy, antivirals, there's, I don't know if I can mention, no, you said I can't yeah, mention it. Ivermectin, right? Um, ivermectin is a, is a medicine. Oh, by the way, I believe and I strongly support the use of any medicine, vaccine, um, drug, anything that is tested thoroughly and proven safe, proven effective, and preferably proven affordable. I completely oppose the use of untested drugs and completely oppose the use of untested drugs under threat of losing your livelihood, your job, or certain freedoms. That's rubbish. So Ivermectin was, was, uh, has been used for about 60 years. It's been given in 3.7 billion doses around the world. Um, it's had no serious side effects at all that people are aware of. Um, it's been used to treat many different conditions. It was approved for use with various other ailments in 2013 by our country's Therapeutic Goods Administration. In 2014, I came back from India with a condition and I got treatment with iv ivermectin. I had no side effects whatsoever. Some people get slight headaches, that's it. But I had none at all. It cured my condition immediately. It was a life-threatening condition. So I can now go and I've got two prescriptions for ivermectin. Two prescriptions. Have you got any? No, unfortunately no. not. No, and you should be difficult. getting them. I'd imagine yeah. they're probably difficult to get as well since I'd imagine they're a lot more difficult to get today than they would have been three or four years ago. They are. They yeah. are. And, and, and now we've got doctors absolutely scared of being disbarred because they might prescribe ivermectin. And yet, this is a proven drug. It would just need a very simple process to get it approved. But the government's sitting on its hands. In my opinion, it's got blood on its hands because this is known. Oh, and then, then some people would say, okay, well, it wasn't approved for COVID. Okay, that's fine. So let's get the data on COVID. Ivermectin with COVID. We know that um, there's a doctor in Sydney doing trials he has treated 24 patients very ill with COVID with ivermectin, quickly recovered. The same facility, two more people not treated with ivermectin died. That's hard data right there. Then, then um, to show that it's not just a, a few cases, uh, we know that the state of Uttar Pradesh in India has about 220 million people using ivermectin, brilliant success. We know that Argentina um, and other South American countries, some European countries, some Asian countries are using ivermectin with huge success. Not only that, Chris, ivermectin is not only treating and curing people with, with COVID, it is preventing the spread of COVID through a prophylactic. Now, if you look at these viruses, look at the vaccines, 
Well, maybe, maybe you can make some comment on that and we'll come back to vaccines because there's some startling information there that, that just blows people's minds. But well, ivermectin is a proven drug, but we can't get access to it. Or I could, but, but most people can't. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, that's right. And doctors are probably unwilling to even consider prescribing it, maybe even for a genuine condition. In thinking, oh, maybe this person's the, the doctors are scared. That's well documented. Yeah. It's not just in Australia, it's around the world. Doctors you, are you scared. Know, the Therapeutic Goods Administration sent me a threatening letter because yeah. they said, You're advertising ivermectin. Bullshit. I was talking about ivermectin. I've got a duty to protect my citizens' um, the health and I work for the citizens. Every speech, more than a couple of minutes long, I start with the words in the Senate as a servant to the people of Queensland, Australia. I do that to remind myself why I'm there. It's not to get get the, the, you know, something for me. It's to look after the people of Queensland and Australia. They're my constituents. And, and that's what I'm about. Now, I talk about ivermectin. When I mentioned, put a video out about ivermectin, YouTube banned me for a week. And we, maybe we can talk more about YouTube and its conflicts of interest there and vaccines. Because without, if we had ivermectin freely available, there wouldn't be any need for vaccines. The vaccines are not stopping the spread. We know that. But ivermectin can and has and is doing that. It is stopping the spread. Ivermectin is proven with COVID. It's proven safe. It's proven affordable. It's proven effective. There's a shitload of money being made here in a largest wealth transfer ever from taxpayers to multinational drug manufacturers, big pharma. They would not be getting that money if ivermectin was available. No. They would not be getting it. The Therapeutic Goods Administration said to me, stop advertising ivermectin. I said, I'm not advertising ivermectin. I wrote him a very cursed letter back, said, I'm not advertising ivermectin. You will not stop me doing my duty. And um, you've got blood on, the government has blood on its hands. And well I didn't hear any more, but they, they tried to stop me from talking about it. Yeah, look, you're not allowed to have an opinion unless it, 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 <laughs> it goes along with the, with the narrative that's being put out. Like we're all entitled to an opinion. Some of those opinions are wrong. Some of those opinions are right, but we're entitled to have an opinion. Now, you're speaking about your personal experience with ivermectin. You've used it yourself to help a condition. No side out. effects. No side effects. And look, there will be people out there that will have side effects. But what we're seeing at the moment, um, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this would have listened to my episode with Dr. Peter McCulloch as well uh, that I recorded the other day. Um He's, good on you, mate. I've got to congratulate you on that because McCulloch's got a very, very good name. He speaks well. I've not, not listened to him, but I know a couple of other people who interviewed him. They, they speak very highly of him. He's well regarded. He's, his name's spreading quickly. But it is. And we discussed obviously many things, but one of the things he spoke about was censorship, which is a problem for him. He can't get his message out and because he's being stopped. Now, for example... Um, we'll talk about the Alphabet YouTube situation in just a moment, but let's use Facebook for an example. I'm sure you've seen it where you send a, you post a, a picture or a status, whatever you want to call it, and you'll get a, a little message that pops up about yep. the virus and the vaccine, right? So the company, well, a company that do that for Facebook is uh, factcheck.org. Now, factcheck.org uh, have an association with a company that holds $1.2 billion in Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine stock. Now, we obviously don't have vac uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine here in Australia, but that's one of the predominant ones used in the United States. So 
They've got a close link to uh, Fact Check, which is the group that sort of decides what's what's true and what's false that's being posted on social media, a conflict of interest. And it's doctors like Dr. McCulloch and many other doctors uh, that are trying to do the right thing. Now, let's not forget they're a doctor for a reason. Right? If they have, if they've come to a professional opinion that this is the right way to handle this, then who's to say they're not right? Who's to say they're wrong? I mean, sure, you get objections to to every uh, proposition, but they're not given the opportunity to express their professional opinion that they've been to university for, that that they spend, I know Dr. McCullough, for example, spends most of his time studying, a lot of his time studying. He's wrote more papers on this virus uh, than any other doctor on planet Earth. That's a fact. But yet his opinion, because it doesn't follow the official narrative, is being just hush, hush, don't say anything. That's a major concern. Major concern. It, it is. It is. And I just, just mentioned, you just triggered a, a reminder for me that ivermectin um, is now being proven successful in 40 to 50 papers, scientific medical papers have chronicled its, its success with COVID. So it's not just one person. It's not just Peter McCullough. It's a whole suite of people that have yeah. done studies and tested this. So, right. you know, ivermectin is being banned. People like McCulloch are being shut down uh, and, and suppressed. And what, what I there's find control again. It is control. And what I find interesting is if you were to type in ivermectin, just say you were to Google search ivermectin COVID, just those two words, you hit search on Google. The first list of, of, of websites are all opposing it and saying it doesn't work, it's not effective, this is why you shouldn't do it, it's not approved by this uh, drug agency and this, uh, you know, World Health, all these factors are, are, are popping up. And you're not, if you go to an alternative search engine, let's just say DuckDuckGo, for example, um, funny name I know, but nonetheless it operates exactly like Google. The difference is what you see. So if you were to go to DuckDuckGo and type in the exact same keywords, ivermectin, COVID, you get an entirely different list of websites, many of which are links to official um, papers, science, scientific papers that prove that it is effective. You try and find that on Google and you, you won't. Maybe you do if you spend hours going through the, the pages and pages and pages that are in front of it, but it's not readily available. Now that's extremely important. If there's scientific uh, documentation that proves its success based on real life trials on humans with the virus, that has to hold some weight. Yeah, and, and think about that again. Let's, let's uh, I said we'd come back to YouTube. YouTube and, and Google are owned by Alphabet, as you know. Yeah. Alphabet, the company Alphabet owns 12% of uh, Vaxitech, which makes the AstraZeneca virus, a uh, vaccine rather. Yes. So the AstraZeneca vaccine would have no legs at all if it wasn't, if, if ivermectin was around, none at all. Ivermectin is, is all that we need to fix this and to stop all the lockdown, stop all the bullshit, stop all the control. But ivermectin has been kept off for that reason. So think about Facebook again. Um, parliamentarians get a taxpayer paid website, you know, or a page on, on the parliamentary website. I don't know how it works. And, you know, up goes the profile, Malcolm Roberts, he member of One Nation Party. Here's his electorate office. Here's his contact details for his Canberra office, blah, blah, blah. Um, and down the bottom, you'll find, or halfway down the page, you'll find the Facebook icon and the Twitter icon. Now, I'm thinking of Craig Kelly. Craig Kelly, I know personally. He is a very, very honourable and respectful 
respected man. He doesn't make statements unless they're backed by fact and data. He is meticulous in that. He came out swinging on ivermectin and Facebook because he posted some posts on Facebook. They banned him forever. Now, that means that one of the ways it's now possible for, for a, um, a constituent to contact their representative in parliament is to go to that member's website and click on the Facebook tag, Facebook icon. If you do that with Craig Kelly, you can't get to him. So Facebook now is not only shutting down the, the, his, his uh, right to speech, free speech, shutting down people's access to his knowledge and his research, but they're shutting down direct communications with a member of parliament in a recognized manner that, that has been approved by the parliament itself. This is interfering with democracy. So again, the word is control. And if you go to, if, if you then go to, um, well, you're going to say something then. Oh, no, I was just saying that I follow Craig Kelly on uh, Twitter because he's not on Facebook, as you yeah. said. I don't think he's on Instagram either. So I follow him on Twitter. And you're right now, yes, the guy isn't a doctor and he's not a scientist. He's a politician. But the things he posts are backed by research. It's not him off the top of his head deciding, you know what, I'm going to say his research. No, no. He's just in, you don't need to be a doctor or a scientist to interpret studies. Like you can, there's a conclusion at the bottom of the study that tells you in black and white the outcome. And that's all he's doing is passing that information on. But because it's again, contradictive to the narrative that's being pushed, he's essentially silenced. Um, I'd love to get in contact with Craig Kelly and have him on here also and have a chat to him because... I'd be happy to put you in touch. Mate, he's a good man and... Very he's, good. He's doing what, as a politician, you represent the people of Australia. And he's doing... he's as You're doing the exact same thing. You're, you're serving the people of Australia and you want what's best for the people. And, and there's a, a, a contrasting difference between what... We're getting from the federal and state governments that are in power and and, and people like yourself and Craig Kelly um, that, that are just getting silenced. And, and when you guys are the one that are, uh, you're, you're posting facts and you're backing up what you're saying, you're, you're saying, listen, this is from this source or, or this study was conducted. You're, you're, you're verifying it and you're giving the people the option Correct. to do their own research to prove that what you're saying is factual, whereas the information we're getting from the state and federal governments, there's no backing. There's no, there's no uh, link to, you know, for example, you have to wear a face mask outdoors because of this study proves that it, it's important to stop the spread. They're not providing any links. They talk about no. the health advice expert. That's the key word, expert health advice. Where, where is the expert health advice? Well, you know, Last year, I can't remember, it must have been about June. Remember I said that we'll pass it, we want the data, we want the plan, and I'll come and hold you accountable. Well, I started holding them accountable in May. I think it was in May or June, I'm pretty sure it might have been June, I wrote a letter to the Premier and the Prime Minister. I wrote another one subsequently, and I got crap back. Just absolute rubbish. And I asked them for the data, which they based their decision. The second letter, I asked for the data. The Prime Minister didn't reply. The Premier of Queensland did reply through one of her office staff, wrote me a letter. They said, just go to these two websites. I went there, nothing. 
nothing. So no data, they're making all these decisions. Now, one of my staff has worked in the health department um, in the bureaucratic side of things and in, in the management side of things. He's been a consultant with the health department. He's pretty good. He knows his way around. He knows how they operate. Very early on with this um, virus in this country, he looked up the Doherty Institute because that's what the government was saying. It depended upon the Doherty Institute's modeling, not its data, it's modeling. Now, the Doherty Institute, from what we understand, is connected with the um, Imperial College in London, which is where Neil, Neil Ferguson and Niall Ferguson uh, has done many of his studies. And they're crap. They, they have wildly exaggerated foot and mouth disease. What's the other one? Um, mad cow disease outbreaks. Wildly, it's cost Britain tens of billions of dollars on, on the rubbish they've produced. He's known, his, his, his record is just atrocious. He's known for, for his poor ability to forecast. Yet that's the basis, apparently, for the Doherty Institute. So we got a, uh, we, we saw what the government gave uh, the, the media for the Doherty Institute's modeling, and it showed the virus cases would go up like that. And then if we all get in, in what was it? Uh, if we all flatten the curve, Chris, remember that? Yeah. Flatten the curve. The, then the, it'll go the, down the two weeks, like that. The two weeks to flatten it yes, 18 yes. months ago? Yes. So it'll go up like that and down like that. That's all they showed. We also then went and got a, got the same, uh, well, we got a, a report from New Zealand, which apparently the Doherty Institute had done. And New Zealand's graph went like that and like that. Then it went like this and like that and like this and like that and like this and like that, and like this and like that. And what they were trying to show was if you've got a threshold of bed capacity and you enact a lockdown, when at each outbreak you have, then you won't exceed that threshold. So you'll have enough for hospital beds, okay? So the New Zealand were telling the truth. They showed that once the virus is here, there'll be a future outbreak. There'll be a future outbreak, a future outbreak, a future outbreak. We weren't told that. We were told this bullshit. And it's bullshit. And look at it now. Each time that each time it takes off, we're jumping on it so damn quickly, it'll never achieve herd immunity. So we've got a major problem with the federal government misleading us, the public and the media. We're showing there's only one hump and missing out all the other humps. We've also got... Um, the fact that I asked the chief medical officer, the, the secretary of health department and the, uh, yeah, those two in Senate estimates in March for the information, I said, I want to, the information that characterizes the virus, including how transmissible it is, how contagious it is, and the severity, the mortality. So they gave it to me in writing a couple of weeks later, they sent me the graph. And the graph shows that it's highly transmissible. Okay, so it's contagious. We know that. Less contagious than some flus though, by the way, including less contagious than the Spanish flu, which killed far more pure people. Now it's also, now the severity, the vertical scale on the graph was shown as low to moderate. I'll say that again. The severity was low to moderate, not high. And yet past respiratory diseases, including some flus, have been high mortality, high severity. So what we're dealing with here is something that looks like a significant response would be about like the flu. But we can't make a plan just based on that. 
because what you have to realize is that we know that the old people, elderly people are much more uh, vulnerable. They die, they die much more, you know, high proportion of deaths. We also know there are some comorbidities like obesity and some immune system vulnerabilities. If you've got a weak immune system, you're more likely to die. So that means if you had a proper plan, you would do what Taiwan's doing. You'd say elderly and sick and vulnerable, quarantine. Rest of you, get on with life. So what we're doing is we're crippling an economy and our future health. We're crippling people's current health. We're subordinating health. We're destroying health in this country. I've been approaching this with three things, health, freedom, and government accountability. The key, word there, the, key, the, the key word there is government accountability. Right. It the governance in this country is terrible. It is terrible. And they're not being held accountable. And as I said, you can't ask, who are you going to ask? Like from the average person, who can we speak to that, that we're going to get answers from? That isn't the, the sort of generic repeated thing we're hearing every day on the TV and media conferences. It's the same thing. Who do we speak to? Because we're having restrictions put in our lives that is similar to what would it be like in jail, if we're being honest? Yep. In fact, they probably have a little bit more freedom at times than what we have at the moment in certain parts of Sydney. Now, we can't hold anybody accountable because who do we speak to? We've got Brad Hazard, who's extremely arrogant, extremely arrogant. And let's not forget about what happened with, with the, the uh, what was it, Ruby Princess uh, last year, the schmozzle that was. Uh, which, by the way, led to the majority of deaths uh, in New South Wales, I'm pretty sure across Australia, uh, from that cruise ship. Let's not forget about the, the limousine driver that started this whole new wave of Delta that we're experiencing at the moment here in Sydney. There were, in, in, there were decisions that, that were made, that were in place by the state government. And they failed, as simple as that. They failed. Now... Who do you hold accountable for that? Because those people that have made those decisions, wrong decisions, mind you, which in hindsight, it's probably a lot easier to say, okay, it's the wrong decision. At the time, we're dealing with something that we'd never seen before. Um, and you can sort of, I guess, accept to a certain extent people making sort of rushed decisions because they have no other option. But at what point are they going to be held accountable for all the things they're doing wrong? But that's what I want to know. And I think what a lot of people want to know. Well, we've been holding them accountable. As, as I said, the first six to 12 months, it was very, very difficult because if you dared to question, you're immediately pilloried for being um, against the national interest. So we had to be very, very sensitive as to how we did that, but we still did it. Pauline and I don't run away from things. Sometimes we, match, we watch our timing. But then in, in March this year, we started to really get stuck into it. But even then, we had to be careful because they might malign us as anti-vaxxer. We're not. I'm in favour and strongly support the use of any medicines that have been tested, proven safe, effective and affordable. So we had to be careful because they silence not with a gun. They silence with intimidation and accusations and smears. And then once you've lost that, you've lost all credibility and then you're useless anyway. So, so that's what they do. The Ruby Princess, my understanding is that no one accessed the captain's log of medical treatments on that vessel before they disembarked. And there were, what do they call it on a, on a ship? Uh, infirmary, uh, sick bay. 
no one accessed the sick bay record. The second thing is that my understanding through people in, in customs or what's known as border, border, border force these days is that, and the federal government's responsible for this, is that the senior person on the site at the Ruby Princess in the, in the, in the border force said no to letting them off. He got a call from someone in Canberra, they believe they were let off. Okay. So that might be sloppiness. I'm not accusing anyone of, of, um, of dishonesty. I'm just maybe sloppiness and maybe negligence. I don't know. But, but that's the federal government's responsibility. But the state government's responsibility also is to keep its citizens safe. It should be doing more than it is doing. It should be implementing a proper plan. Now, if you look at accountability, you can't hold anyone accountable at the moment because there's no data. The ultimate is to say, you haven't got any data. You're making stupid, destructive, uh, dangerous decisions. That's as far as we can go because there's no data. So that's what we're trying to eke out of the government. Um, and remember, they, they haven't responded. They, either, they haven't provided any data in response to my requests as a member of parliament. The problem is not Labour or Liberal. The problem is the parliament. Because if you look at the policies across the whole sphere of policies, Chris, Labour policies are almost identical with Liberal. They're slightly different in degree. Energy policy... Uh, border protection, but liberals are a bit stronger there in border protection for sure. But most of the areas, they're very similar. So what you'll find is that, how can I put it? The government not doing its job, the opposition is blundering along, not showing it's not doing its job. Albanese can only criticize. He can't come up with a decent alternative. Where's his data? They don't make decisions based on data and data becomes very objective. So what we've got is a lack of accountability. We've got governments who make decisions and policies based on opinions, emotions, getting reelected, getting a headline, looking after their mates, looking after donors, looking after vested interests, looking after the power brokers, looking after the media journalists to keep them on side so they get good headlines for the next election. You get Anastasia Palaszczuk up here in Queensland. She was dead and buried almost when it came to her electoral prospects in February last year. If they'd had an election, she would have been gone. We have a very incompetent LNP um, opposition up here, but she still would have been gone. The coronavirus came and she was saved. And what the Labor Party machine did, there's no lie too big for the Labor Party machine in Queensland. There's no amount of fear that they won't create. And what they did was whip up the fear because in fear, people bypass their rational thinking and they just take note of slogans and, and they run to authority. All people run to authority under fear. And so they ran to the authority, which was the premier. And she got an increase in vote because the election was about one thing. Anastasia kept her safe. It was a complete lie. She actually jeopardized people's health, but she got reelected because of that lie. Morrison um, has been playing along and just stoking the fires, making sure that, that we just continue this rolling. He is now starting to be found out. But if you look at Sky News, it used to be fairly independent. If you, if you look at Sky News, everyone except for Alan Jones is saying, go and get your vaccine, Chris. Go and get your vaccine, Chris. Go mm. and get your vaccine, Chris. Um, if you look at uh, the Weekend Australian, which I think is the largest circulation in the country of any newspaper, um, two of the last few weeks, they've had a four-page supplement, colour supplement, full broadsheet supplement, four pages. What would that cost? And the basic message of the supplement is get your jab, get your injection, get your vaccine. That's it. So everything and the legacy media, the only hope we've got 
and, and we, we've just shown the Facebook sensors, we've just shown the Google sensors, we've shown the YouTube sensors, Instagram sensors. The only hope we've got is people like you who are independent media, who are at least giving people a voice. They won't let me on Sky because they know what I'll do. I they won't let me on Sky, the ABC. Even, even with um, Alan Jones. No, we've, it's very interesting. Alan Jones, I've, I've worked with Alan Jones quite a bit before I got into Parliament. We have a lot of respect for each other. Um, his big issues, uh, we have really been the main player. He's had several big issues. One has been COVID. There's no one else apart from Craig that's speaking up like I am. Mm. Um, there's climate change. There's no one in the country can come anywhere close to me on climate change. Alan uh, still not having me on about that. We did the cash ban bill. We, we opposed that from the government. We caused that to be removed from the parliament. Um, Alan Jones had, that was a big issue with him. He won't have me on for that. Uh, we were the ones who put in the anti-bail-in legislation to protect people's deposits, stop the banks taking their money uh, in, a, in a crash. Um, he was very strongly supportive of that, but not one of those things as he, as he talked to me about. Climate change some time ago, but nothing of that. Um, Sky has become a Liberal Party boost cheer squad. Do, do, you, think it, do, it you, do you think it's the network that's, that's speaking to, to Alan and saying, listen, or do you think it's Alan coming up to say, listen, I don't want to... Because from what uh, I'm saying... I, I don't know. Alan, Alan keeps giving me replies like, oh, we've got to have, to my media advisor, we've got to have Malcolm on, but it never happens. So uh -huh. I, I, if, you look at, um, if you look at the others, oh, Rowan Dean has had me on a couple of times, but um, there, there's nothing from Sky News for us. You know, Mark mm -hmm. Latham gets a fair run because he was on Sky News himself. Um, yes. But... You know, the ABC, uh, my media advisor, <laughs> went up to the ABC when she was appointed. And she's a, she's a lovely woman. She's pretty strong-willed. Um, is that, and, is that the same lady I, the I was speaking to the last few days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, she's very genuine, very honest. And, and she's very good. Uh, she doesn't know a lot about the media, but she's learning. But what, what, she does, what she doesn't know specifically about the journalist, she knows about human behavior and strength of character and, and honesty. So she's very good in that. And every now and then, um, if I take a position that she's questioned, she'll tap me on the shoulder, say, Malcolm, think about this. What about this aspect? You know, she, she's a good, um, what's the word? Um, sounding board. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. And she, and she checks me because sometimes you can get um, carried away because you're just focused in parliament. And she'll say, hang on a minute, Malcolm, think about what you're about to say. Um, we all, we all so, need everyone like that next to us to help us guide through life because we yeah. all make, yeah, that's right. Yeah, she, she's very good. Um, anyway, she was being introduced to the ABC media up there and they were all rabbiting on about something. And, and, um, and uh, the person who was introducing her said, Robin, you, you've heard these people from the ABC talking a lot. Is there anything you want to say? And she said, I just want to say one thing. My senator, you won't get him into an argument and he'll always come back with facts and data. And you won't get him upset and aggressive. You just won't. So don't bother trying. And the ABC's response was, we know. So I am not good clickbait, right? No, and I, and, I, sure. and the ABC pushes bullshit. So um, they don't want me up there because they know they can't embarrass me. They tried when I first got into the Senate. They put me on three top shows. They did not get me into a fight. They did not get me into, into a bad position. They could not embarrass me. And they were, they were left realizing that I had the data. So I hardly get back there. So they, want, they, want to, they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to talk to anybody that's willing to, to, to not even argue, but just defend themselves and defend their facts. They're not willing to have a discussion with anybody. 
by the look of yeah, it. Yeah, I've had some fun with ABC reporters. Have you? <laughs> that might be why I'm not going back. But, you know, that's, that's what I'm saying. What you're doing is fundamental because you're giving people a voice who can't get a voice. We're the people's representative, but we can't get a voice. Uh, we can say only limited things on Facebook and YouTube. We can't talk about ivermectin. Um, you know, this is, this, is, this is just not fair to the people of, of Australia. And there's a, it's a fellow who has me on regularly called Mike Ryan with Business News Asia Pacific. He's done a marvellous job. He's interviewed Peter McCulloch. He's interviewed people from all over the world on this. He's doing an amazing job like yourself. He also interviewed Piers Robinson, who's a, a British expert in propaganda. And he said, what's going on? And he said, this is an information campaign. And this Piers Robinson, who's been involved in war, in politics, in propaganda, um, he said that this has the hallmarks of being the biggest, strongest, most virile propaganda campaign for a long, long time. He said the hallmarks are there. He said um, uh, everything about it is a very well-orchestrated propaganda campaign. And mm. uh, well, I was trying to think of something he said there. can't remember. Um, but he, he said very clearly, this is well orchestrated and well designed and, and they're, they're just pushing one view and that's it. He, he's very, very worried. Yeah. And look, one thing that I've noticed is, is that the, the audience is there. People want to hear these conversations that we're having. Not, it's not too formal. We're just having a chat like two mates at the pub. Uh, but what we're saying is it's nothing that you've said to me is bullshit. From what, from my, no. I can tell by the way, you you won't speak. You're not willing to speak about things that you're not confident in, and mm. that's what you're not seeing anymore from from the mainstream media. Um, and and I think the numbers in my case speak for themselves. That I can tell you now that uh, the episode with Peter McCulloch's only been out for a day and a half, and it's it's got over thirty thousand listeners in a day and a half. So wow. The people are listening. The people are, are there, and they want to. They want to listen because I think a lot of people are starting to see. Well, hold on, what's going on here? This has been going on for too long. We were promised this; it's not happening. And what's concerning, as I read this morning, I wish I had my phone to quote it exactly, but uh, the Australian uh, apparently somehow got some leak from the New South Wales state government that's been proposed to uh, the premier. Uh, she has to sign off on it, but it was a proposition that the at seventy percent vaccination rate, uh, people people that are fully vaccinated will have access to restaurants, be able to eat at restaurants, drink at bars, uh, go to the cinemas. They'll get their life back if they're fully vaccinated once they hit that threshold of whatever it was seventy or eighty percent. Um, that's extremely concerning. So what they're saying is, you're welcome. You know, you're not a welcome member of society, so it's causing more division in the people. Well, that, that's what he said. Sorry, that's what Piers Robinson said. That's what I forgot. He said they're doing the classic tactics of divide and conquer. They're separating. They're mm. causing a black versus white, like apartheid in South Africa, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And the, and the vaccinated will run around saying, you haven't been vaccinated. You're a threat to my health. So I'd love to talk about that because that's what they do. They, they feed you with bullshit. Suppress, suppress any dissent, either by smearing you so you fall into silence or by censoring you directly. But then they separate you and they create a fight within society of one party versus another. So the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. And that's what they're doing. 
they're absolutely. demonizing people they are uh, it, it, they're pretty much saying that you know you're not a worthy member of society because you haven't had your vaccination yep. you know, you're not welcome to live your life like the fact that we were being told that we can't do this based on a, a medical procedure it, it's our right to decide and this is what people just don't understand it's very basic we all have a right to say yes or to say no we don't want this in our bodies we have, we've never seen anything like this your body your choice that's right now we've well i certainly haven't seen anything like this before where you're being questioned over your vaccination status i don't go up to people and say excuse me before you, uh, you serve me could i please see your polio vaccine could i see your hep b vaccine we, we don't ask this and it's, to be quite frank it's no one's fucking business but the individuals if it's your health it's your body your health you don't you shouldn't have to disclose your personal information to others but let, let's let's take that point up because there's, there's an associated mm. point there chris and that is that um if if, if i'm vaccinated right i'm not and i won't be but if I am vaccinated, the argument goes like this. You're not vaccinated. Therefore, you're going to be carrying and spreading the virus. Therefore, you're a threat to me. Well, hang on just a minute here. If I'm vaccinated, what am I worried about? But let's, let's, let's look further. Let's look further. So I think it was before, tell me if we've done this uh, in, our, in the recording, but I think it was before the recording. I mentioned what I'd done with the chief um, medical officer and the secretary of the Department of Health and Therapeutic Goods Administration head, head uh, in Senate estimates in May this year, when I said, let's have a few questions about the vaccine. Can you guarantee 100% safety with the vaccines? These are the three top health bureaucrats. No. Can you tell me the dosage needed for the vaccine? No. Can you tell me how many, how, what does the number of vaccines we'll need? No. Can you tell me the frequency, how far apart they are? No. Can you tell me how long they'll be effective? No. Can you tell me if the vaccinated will not catch the virus later? No. We know that they might. Can you tell me if the vaccinated, will, if vaccinations will stop the transmission of the disease? No, it won't. Can you tell me, what was the other question in there? There are two more in there. Um, oh, that's right. Can you tell me if, vaccinated, if, if we vaccinate everyone, it'll stop lockdowns? No, we can't. Can you tell me if we vaccinate everyone, the end of restrictions like masks and so on? No, we can't. What the hell are we doing? Yeah. You know, and then you look at the actual data and you find Israel, which is amongst the most vaccinated, highest proportion of vaccinated nations in the world, they have now got 11 times the number of cases and a huge increase in deaths compared with two months ago. 11 yeah. times. And can I say that? Highly vaccinated. Israel used Pfizer exclusively as well. It's important to yep. point and out. And now Israel studies, a European study of, of what's happening in Israel and the Israeli Health Department both confirm that the efficacy, the effectiveness of these Pfizer vaccines plummets after about two months. As recently as two months after, they're plummeting. Pfizer has now admitted that itself. The United States is now admitting it. The Food and Drug Administration now has an application from Pfizer to give a third booster shot. So, Chris, can you tell me if we need four? 
five, six, seven? Will I be every three months, every six months, every 12 months? You know what this is? I, I did a podcast with someone yesterday and he said, Malcolm, can't you see what's going on? If you pay for a service, that's one thing. But if you pay a subscription, that's wonderful. Like yeah. a gym, for example, he said gyms. He said the gym model for a business is subscription, so much per week. Yeah. Because many people don't go to the gym. But if you paid every time you went to the gym, they wouldn't get the money. So what Pfizer's on now is a subscription, basically. Every jab, they'll get money. How many jabs? We don't know. They can, they can keep indefinitely. Yeah, indefinitely. But, but they're not effective. So, so the argument yeah. that says the vaccinated people are vulnerable because the unvaccinated are, 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 um, are, are a threat to them is bullshit. It is bullshit. Because, because the vaccinated now don't stop the transmission. In Israel, when you look at, I think there were seven different age groups they had in the study, in, in the data I saw, five of those age groups the percentage of cases, percentage of vaccinated people who had the virus was higher than the proportion of people who had the vaccine. Yeah, that's right. So the vaccine are highly vulnerable. The vaccine makes them highly vulnerable, it seems. Well, it's not maybe not statistically significant, it might be a coincidence, but that mm. certainly doesn't limit your, your um, chance of getting the virus yeah. and spreading the virus. And I'd like this to is quote, bullshit. It is bullshit. And I'll quote uh, Dr. McCulloch on this. And he said, the reason why the world is having such an issue with the Delta variant is because the vaccinated people are the ones spreading it and passing <laughs> it on to the unvaccinated people. And as he said, he said that apparently there's research and studies. Again, he's a doctor, not me. He's read studies that would indicate that over time, the Pfizer vaccine fails against all the variants. And he also mentioned that the AstraZeneca vaccine um, has a vulnerability to the beta variant, which I believe is the South African variant. They refer to the beta as a South African variant. Which is the one they called the beast? I've never heard Remember, that. I've never heard no, the beast. I, I, it was in the media. Every one seems to be either more transmissible or a killer transmissibility, or this is the killer virus. This, you know, the, the severity of it increases. Every oh, time something new comes on, they're, they're raising, the, oh, they raising the fear. Hysteria that they, they pass through. But look, the AstraZeneca had a vulnerability to that variant where it was, he was saying it's just dodging the antibodies produced by the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, and the same thing's happening over in Israel with the Pfizer vaccine. Over there, it's just dodging the Pfizer vaccine. So he's saying that it's not, it's not a, a solution. It can't be a solution. And you're seeing that. He goes, what's going to happen? And he did also mention that... Um, he's got concerns about the, the the vaccinated people that are getting the virus spreading and causing extra mutations. He didn't get too much into that. So I'm not going to comment much on that. I think he himself was still in the process of researching yeah. that, but he'd seen enough initial uh, signs to be concerned. Um, so there's, there's a lot going on. You can't say that one vaccine works for all. It doesn't. It's not a, a sort of one for all solution. Do any of them work? That's the question, isn't it? That's the million-dollar question. I can't, I can't see the Billion-dollar question. And no, you're not seeing the evidence. Now, people would argue that the death rates have decreased this year. Well, that's also because the Delta is known. Yes, it's more contagious, but it's not as lethal as the one we had here last year. And that's evident in the deaths. The mortality rate is lower uh, it, than the first uh, variant that we had here in Australia. Did you hear Greg Hunt's quote? Greg Hunt is the health minister, federal uh, health minister. Uh, I try not to listen to he, too much. <laughs> he said, these are his words. The world is engaged 
in the largest clinical vaccine trial. I'll say it again. The world is engaged in the largest clinical vaccination trial. Are you elaborate, Chris? No, absolutely not. I'm not. And, no. I, and, and someone said, I'm going to ask that question. Someone said to me, he's going to choose to be the placebo. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> but, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's very concerning. Really, it is. Yeah. It's extremely Well, have, have a listen to this, these figures. You, I think you may already know these figures. I don't know if we didn't talk about it earlier on. Um, Wall Street Journal, highly reputable paper. Yeah. It, it's very, very reputable, it's especially on, on financial matters. Um, the Wall Street Journal reported recently, a couple of weeks ago, that um, the profit, sorry, the revenue from at Pfizer's revenue for the previous quarter, that's three months, was $18.9 billion. Three months. Okay, revenue doesn't mean that much. Profit does. Mm. The Wall Street Journal said that based upon a, a, its margin, its, its, its assessed margins, um, the profit would have been $4 billion for three months. Now, yes. recognize that the Australian Therapeutic Goods Administration approved, I can't remember the name of it, a Pfizer drug for treating myocarditis just about 12, 18 months ago, right? Myocarditis has been proven to be linked to the Pfizer vaccine. So yes. what we've got is a shitload of money going to these multinational big pharma for a vaccine that injures some people. And then we get more money going to these people for going to the, vac going to the vaccine manufacturer for another drug to treat that, that illness. Yeah. Then we've also got AstraZeneca has now been linked to blood clots. But we're told it's not really many. It's how many? I don't know, but it's not many. Well, Pfizer released a drug for treating blood clots about the same time, 18, 12, 18 months ago. Their, their uh, sales have increased 13%. So blood clots, maybe they're not really trivial. No. Pfizer released a drug for treating people on ventilators uh, about 18 months ago, approved by the Therapeutic Goods Administration. So Pfizer, it seems to me, is making money from making people sick and then making money from treating that same yeah. sickness. Yeah. So, and remember, all of this is based upon the manufacturer's word for the vaccines, and they have said that they're not, um, the actual results may not be the same as what they're forecasting. Yet the government's mm. swallowing this. Uh, Pfizer is also, well, the, the vaccine manufacturers have done no studies on rats with regard to female reproduction system. They've done no studies with regard to intergenerational transfers, uh, you know, effects in the, in the next generation. They've, they've hurriedly got this out. It's not been tested fully. That's why it's a call. That's why it's called provisional approval. Now, I asked the Therapeutic Goods Administration, what's, what's uh, provisional approval? Provisional approval is given um, in the interest of expediency because there's no other treatment available. Mm. Yeah. And, that, and, and they're soft. accusing Craig Kelly of misreporting. Yeah. Shameful. And, you know what? It's, it's not only is it extremely negligent um, in terms of health, but it's, it's almost criminal. You're familiar with the VAERS database in America? Yes. Okay. Um, last I saw that was last month in July, end of July. It had about 10,000 deaths. I think it's past 10,000 deaths. 
due to vaccines, um, a thousand miscarriages, um, big problems with uh, big numbers with regard to heart problems, um, several other things um, mm. due to the vaccines. That's the VERS database. Um, you know, <laughs> this is the first time in history, Chris, that a government has injected healthy people with something that can kill them. And it's the first time in history when sick people are denied access to a proven, safe, affordable treatment that will cure them and is proven to cure them. So we're, we're injuring some people, killing some people that are healthy. We're refusing treatment to unhealthy people. Yeah, that's, that's my argument. That's too. anti-human. It is anti-human. And that's my argument when I hear the government comment on hospital capacities and ICU beds available and saying that we've got to get it under control because our hospitals are going to be full. That's their problem. They have options for early treatment. They've got the options available. You've mentioned ivermectin as well. There's a few of them that have been proven to keep people out of hospital. In fact, there's many practitioners around the world that treat people at home. You keep them at home and treat them. Ivermectin is just one, one of the drugs they use. They even use zinc. Mm -hmm. They use vitamin D, they use vitamin C, they use the transfusion that we we're discussing earlier that the Australian government is now getting shipments of into the country. They use these, these drugs and can treat people at home and keep them out of hospitals. So yes. the whole idea that the which they seem to be pushing a lot of the blame onto the public for this, it's not our fault. The options are there to treat these people, to save them having to go into the hospital. And the whole idea of, of, of the Premier commenting that, you know, that it's our fault these lockdowns are continuing and people aren't doing the right thing. Let me assure you that <laughs> she said that numerous times. Let me assure you that I can guarantee, almost guarantee you above 90% of people are doing the right things. They're, they're doing what they're told. Now, you're never going to get 100% compliance with anything. doesn't matter what it is. It's impossible. The reason this isn't working in, in some speaking on Sydney in particular, these lockdowns, it's been extended for another month. That'll take it to over three months we've been in lockdown. And the case numbers today and yesterday are as high as they've ever, ever been. So that tells me quite simply, it's not working. You don't have to be a doctor or a scientist to determine that it's not working. And, and that's, um, it, it, it's, yeah, mate, I don't know. There's just something here. Uh... I just, oh, I've got it yesterday. Uh, sorry, the day before. This is the Queensland Chief Health Officer. Dr. Young said Queensland would probably have to call an immediate lockdown if one new local case of COVID was discovered. Then they quoted her. We've seen that experience everywhere. We've seen that experience everywhere. But if we don't find the first case, we won't be locking down for one or two weeks. We'll be locking down for months. Their mismanagement causes the people to pay the price. Queenslanders, 4 p.m. Friday last week. Queenslanders in 11 council areas will not have to wear a mask outdoors, but we'll need to continue to wear them in indoor venues such as supermarkets, hospitals and high schools. Mate, there's just so much bullshit being spread. Um, and, and then you get, you get a threat. This vaccine hesitancy, 
that, that's alive and kicking in this country is because of the government ineptitude, state and federal level, because of the contradictions amongst each other and also sometimes within each state. And then you get something like this. If you want to keep working in aged care, you will get a vaccine. Mm, that's right. And that just a month before, the Prime Minister said he will not do that. But then he came out Monday week ago and said he will. But notice this, the constitution says you cannot mandate medication on someone, the federal constitution. Yep. So the federal government's tied to that. But it's now saying to the states, you do it. Yeah, it's now saying to companies, you employers, you do it. That to me still smacks of the federal government doing it. Yeah, they're the federal government. Well, well, it's doing it because of the federal government policy. Yeah. The federal government stole farmers' property rights back in from the 1996 through to about 2018-19 through a series of stages, but it initiated them. Now, the federal government, the, the national constitution, the federal constitution says in clause in section 51, clause 31, if you interfere with the property rights or the rights to use your land, the federal government must pay just terms compensation. So to comply with the UN's Kyoto Protocol, it decided to stop land clearing. So if you bought some land as a farmer and you couldn't clear it because you were going to clear it to grow wheat, you've just lost a huge slice of value from your, from your land. So the state, so because of the restrictions in the constitution, the federal government got the states to do it. They even paid Queensland hundreds of millions of dollars to restrict farmers' rights to use their land. That in my book is deceitful and dishonest abandonment of the people. Absolutely. And that's what they've done. And that's what they're doing here. But you see, there are so many things coming at people and all Fred and, and Mary want to do at home is come home from work, have some time with the kids, have a little bit of relaxation time, eat something, have a shower. They don't want to put up with all the crap that comes at them from every which way. They just yeah. say in the end, bugger this. Give me the remote control. I'll just watch the Broncos or I'll watch the Panthers or I'll watch Manly. Mm. They just want to live. Yeah. They don't want to have to sift their way through all the bombardment about all the bullshit and lies and the exaggerations. This is what's driving people crazy. And that's why people these days aren't voting. People are saying, especially young people your age, saying, yeah. bugger the voting. What's the point? And they've got it right in the sense, Chris, that this is not due to Labor or Liberal. Half the premiers that are, and the worst premiers in this, in this instance are the Labor premiers. But the prime mm. minister has been deplorable. There's no mm. data. There's no hard plans. There's no factual stuff going on here. There's no, nothing looking after the people. And instead, we've got bullshit. And people, but, but what I want, so it's the parliament that's failed. It's not just the Liberal Party or just the Labor Party. Yeah. The parties are the problem. But what we've got to do is got to get people to say, shit, I can't put up with this anymore. I've mm. got to vote because at least you can vote for a minor party. But yeah. vote for anyone apart from the major parties and put the last major parties last. But that's, you know, it's fundamental because I turn up at elections and handing out how to vote cards. And then I go and scrutinize afterwards, Chris. And you see people rock up saying, oh, shit, we got to vote again. What's the point? You get Tweedledum or Tweedledumber. And then in scrutineering afterwards, you look at the ballot papers and they've got a, a big dick and a set of balls drew, uh, drawn <laughs> yeah, on it, you know, right. or, or, right. or, or get fucked on it or something like that. Or <laughs> you're, right. none of you are worth my vote. And you're probably right. <laughs> but anyway, so, so, um, but the point is on Monday, the same people are saying, shit, 
the government's still there. It didn't change. Another four years of Liberal or another four years of Labor in Queensland. If the, the most fundamental thing you can do, apart from looking after your family, is look after who's governing the country. That's your responsibility, my responsibility as citizens. That's our right. We shouldn't abandon that. The more people who say, bugger it, I'm not going to vote, the more Liberal and Labor love it. Yeah, that's right. Because and they organise people to go to the polling booths. See what yeah. I mean? So if, if you think about this, um, taxation. 90% of Australia's large companies are foreign-owned and since 1953 have paid little or no tax. That's quoting a former Deputy Commissioner of Taxation. They don't pay company tax. So think about this side of things. Excuse me. A person on the average income, well, let's have start with Joe Hockey, the federal treasurer just five or six years ago. He said that 50% of your money income goes in taxes. So what he said was, you work from January through to June paying taxes. Then you work from July to December to live off the rest. Right? Mm. See what I mean? Yeah. Now, it's worse than that. The figures in the late 90s and early 2000s, and they're probably worse now, said that a person on the average income, which today is about 80000 pays 68% of his or her income in the form of rates, levies, fees, taxes, charges to government. So we've been indoctrinated with the bullshit that says the biggest purchase of our life is our house. That's rubbish. The biggest purchase of our life is government. Are they doing a good job? Not at all. Spot on. There are so many things they're destroying. They don't make decisions based on data. They just make decisions. We've, we've covered that just on whims and looking after their mates. But if you think about these things, a loaf of bread, your food, 50% of the cost of a loaf of bread is tax, which means that the effective tax rate is 100%. Yeah. Got it? Yeah. 50% of the price of a house is tax, which means the effective tax rate on your house is 100%. 70%, this is when petrol was a, and diesel were about $1.20 a litre. 70% of the cost of petrol is tax, which means the effective tax rate is about 230%. So you get up in the morning in the house that you've paid 100% tax on to, open, to make your sandwiches for lunch, 100% tax, and you drive to work in your car and you're paying 230% tax. And the money you're using to do that is after tax and you've paid income tax. Yeah. This is insane, mate. And it is insane. And I think when people, when people think of tax, they, they think of their, their, the tax that's withheld from their salary. They forget all the other taxes that you've just covered. So Stamp duty, excise yeah. duty, um, all the rest of the duties, levies, fees, charges. Yeah. Mate, one day, and I've said this for a while, one day they, when they find a way to tax oxygen, we'll be paying tax to breathe. Hey, don't laugh at that. You know, oh, there's, no. there's rubbish that's going on about climate. Yeah. That's all bullshit. There's nothing to it. We, we, we're coming out on that pretty strongly in a little, little while. But the CSIRO has admitted to us that it has never advised anyone that carbon dioxide from human activity is a danger. So we asked them. They've, we've had three presentations from the CSIRO. They've never been able to give us any evidence for the government's claims. 
So we said to them, who has said it's a danger? Because they tell us you advise them. No, we haven't. You'll have to ask the politicians who advise them. Next thing, today's, remember this globe, this climate change came, started with global warming claims. The CSIRO has admitted to us that today's temperatures are not unprecedented. Not unprecedented. There's no unusual global warming. The CSIRO has tried to con us into thinking that there is an unusual rate of temperature change. It's climbing faster than ever. For the last 25 years, it's been flat, despite the largest ever amount of carbon dioxide being produced by humans ever. The rate of temperature change, they gave us one paper to justify their evidence. After 50 years of research, that's all they had. The author, the lead author of that paper himself admitted you can't rely upon his paper. This is the CSIRO. This is what policies are based on for crippling our country. We now pay, in Australia, we now pay $13 billion extra on top of electricity just for, just for subsidies for climate and energy policies. That costs an average of about $1,300 per household. The median income in Australia is about $49,000. After tax, that's about thirty-seven. dollars How can someone on $37,000 afford the luxury of electricity and then pay $1,300 a year on top of that? You can't. No, you can't. We're, we're, we're crippling them. The highest, the highest cost factor in manufacturing is electricity. It's not labour anymore. It's electricity. So we send our prime thermal coal to China. They make electricity out of it and sell electricity for eight cents a kilowatt hour. We use the same coal without the shipping cost to China and we charge 25 cents because of all the bullshit regulations from government, largely to do with climate change. The government says that the typical household electricity bill is 6% uh, renewable subsidies. It's 39%. The governments and these figures we got from a reputable economist who didn't make anything up. He just took the figures from government and and state and federal government budget papers and just presented them. Every every um, solar or wind farm job that's created costs 2.2 jobs in the real world. It's just insane what's going on. So this is the governance of this country. That's why, for God's sake, get out and vote and don't vote for either of the major parties. Yeah, and let me just add to that that I think the past 12 to 18 months has really woke people up to the fact that we have the power. The people have the power. We control who's in government. We have to vote. And there's a lot of people that I know personally that, as you said, go to the, the voting booths and draw a dick and balls and then just send it away and that's the end of it. But those people are the ones that are going to start voting. And I really believe that because people now uh, realise too that what's happening at the moment and then what everyone's going through, we're all going through the same thing. So everyone can relate to what's happening. That this has been put in place by government and we as a people have the power to vote these governments out. As simple as that. So I think... You are going to get, if you could, I don't know if you can, but if you could look at the number of people that voted um, with, with, you know, that took it seriously enough to actually consider the parties available, look at the policies of those parties and then, then vote, I reckon that would increase, that'd have to increase. Yeah, mate, there's, I heard someone the other day uh, and I was being interviewed in a podcast. Um, I'm just finding something for you here. Um, and he said people in his age group, which is 20s and 30s, 
Yeah. Um, he said they're giving up on voting because they just see it's a sham. And so we've got to get people back because do you know, um, do you know which group of people are the only people who can change our constitution? The only group of people. Yeah. Who's the only group of people that can change the constitution? I don't know. Australian citizens. The people. Yep. Now the constitution is the governing document. Yep. Australians have got Australian citizenship have to vote in a referendum before you can change a single word in that constitution, which makes us the sovereigns of the country. We're in charge. But the way the governments are behaving in this country, the governments are treating people like slaves. You can always tell when democracy is strong. The government is afraid of the people because they'll get voted out. In this country, the government is not the least bit scared because Labor and Liberal are so damn close together. It doesn't matter. You just exchange one set of colours for another set of colours. So they're not scared of the people at all. And that's why I start my speeches all the time with as a servant to the people of Queensland and Australia. When I first started saying that in the Senate, I got giggled at by the Labor Party and the Liberal Party members. Then they started taking fun at me, taking the piss out of me. Now they shut up. I mean, that's how disgraceful it is, you know, that they don't have the respect for the people. But let me just quote from a Hungarian Jew. I got this um, recently. Two people walking down the street in drab overcoats, abandoned street, sound familiar? Um, with a yellow star on their chest, a big star. This is a quote from a Hungarian Jew from the documentary, The Last Days. People wonder, how is it that we didn't do something? We didn't run away. We didn't hide. Well, things didn't happen at once. Things happened very slowly. So each time a new law came out or a new restriction, we said, well, just another thing, it'll blow over. When we had to wear this yellow star to be outside, we started to worry. Now, what we've got there is a Jewish couple who, when they go outside, have to wear a star on them. This is in Germany to show that they were Jewish. We have now got in this country prime ministers and premiers talking about a vaccine passport to show that you have been vaccinated. We've also got smears against people who won't vaccinate or who just ask questions about vaccines, about what they want to put in their body. I don't call them vaccine passports. I call them vaccine prisons. Because if you don't have that bloody injection, you are denied entry to various places. You're denied services. You're denied access to food, denied access to society. Our fellow human beings, you can't interact. In France, Macron, who's a known globalist, tried to bring in a vaccine prison saying that if you want to go to the supermarket, you'll be vaccinated. That means your food, what you put in your mouth, is out of touch unless you comply with a government edict. We've now got people in this country saying that they have to be vaccinated, otherwise they'll lose their job. We, we posted something. When we heard that the Prime Minister broke, broke his promise, we put out a post on my Facebook page and just said, if you're an aged care worker and you're concerned about this, telephone. We were swamped. Some of my staff were crying because the, the people 
themselves were crying, just talking to us over the phone. And the, the care that these people have, they were concerned. One, some were, were pregnant themselves. She said, I'm worried about my baby. I might be getting the vaccine. There are others saying, I'm worried about my own health. I might be getting the vaccine. But they weren't crying because of that. They were crying because they knew they would leave and they, someone wouldn't be able to look after their, their elderly clients. They love these people. But they, they, they're forced to put in a, in, a, in a jam between serving the people they love in a job they love or getting a vaccine that could kill them. This is immoral. It is immoral. And don't get me, I'm very close to being in that position myself for my employment. Uh, the Fair Work Ombudsman made an announcement uh, last Thursday that uh, employers have the ability now to mandate vaccines for their employees if they're in certain industries. And obviously the work that I do is in one of those industries. So it's a matter of time because you know what, if even though we're not um, a government organisation, um, we're still, we still deal with New South Wales health. We still deal with the NDIS. So if, you know, my employer, and I'm sure they, they might not want to do that, but at some point they're going to get, the health department saying, well, hold on a second. Now you've been enabled the ability to do it, but you're still refusing to do it. Don't you care about your clients? Don't you care about your staff? And it's going to be mandated. So I'm very concerned, extremely concerned that I'm going to be without a job very soon. It's imminent. It's any moment. So I've had to really start thinking about how I'm going to make money because I won't be getting vaccinated to go back to work. It's not going to happen. So we're saying very clearly, I'm not a lawyer, so don't take this as legal advice, but have a think about this. If your attitude towards the vaccine is that, and that's your job, we're not telling you to stop it. Go ahead and do that. But we think that even if that is your attitude, there's a better way. If you're thinking of resigning, there's a better way. If you're thinking of getting the jab injection, there's a better way. Why don't you write a letter to your employer saying, Hey, I'm happy to take the vaccine. Once you make these guarantees to me, first of all, that you guarantee you'll indemnify me for any illness or death. Secondly, you'll be able to give me a complete list of all the ingredients of every of the vaccine I take. Thirdly, you'll be able to give me reassurances that this is being done with my consent. And that there's a list of about eight conditions. If I was that employer, there's no way I'd sell, sign that. No way at all. No. In other words, instead of getting sacked for not taking it, what you're saying is, I will take the jab, providing you make, make these fundamental and, 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 and right, uh, rightful um, guarantees to me. There's no guarantee, no, lawyer, no employer who will guarantee. So in other words, no. they're not going to sack you. See what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And you know what? Every single one of those points in that letter is reasonable to ask. Yes. I wouldn't be getting it if it wasn't a condition of employment. So therefore, if you want me to get it uh, for my employment, then you can, as you said, prove all these things. Uh, that's extremely reasonable. But yeah, I can't imagine any employer willing to take on any of those things, especially the, the liability aspect of it in regards to poor health outcomes or death. No one. No one's yeah, here that. it is. I want you to... Uh, provide me the following information the approved legal status of the COVID-19 vaccine and if it is experimental or provisional we know that yeah. secondly details and assurances assurances that the vaccine has been fully independently and rigorously tested against control groups and the subsequent outcomes of those tests 
including its long-term safety, its effect on pregnant recipients, its use for children, et cetera. The full list of contents of the vaccine that I'm to receive. Advise all the adverse reactions associated with this vaccine in Australia. Confirmation that I will not be under any duress or coercion from you or a representative of your, of your company as my employer to force me to have this vaccine, including threatening loss of employment. Advise the likely risks of fatality or serious side effects should I be unfortunate enough to contract and the likelihood of recovery. The vaccine manufacturers don't know this. How's the employer going to no. know it? It's, it's completely wrong for the government to push this on a company because it just adds further complexity to the, to the employment process. We're doing everything we can in this country by the sound of this at government level to destroy employment, not create it. Yeah, that's right. And look, a lot of people, unfortunately, will be going along with what they're told to do by their employer because how they're going to support their family, feed their kids, they're going to have to, a lot yeah. of people are going to go along with it, even though they don't want to. Now, to me, that's that's criminal. It really is. You can't force it. It's forcing. It doesn't matter how you word it. You're forcing somebody to do something they wouldn't do if you didn't put the pressure on them to do it. As simple as that. Correct. That's force. Okay, you're not being pinned down. But besides that, you're being, you're being threatened with your livelihood, the access to services, which is which they're discussing now, you know, bars and clubs. That and, you've paid taxes for. Yeah, that's right. You've exactly paid right. taxes for some of these services. That's right. Now, to, for me to get into Queensland, as of right now, I need to prove that I've had a vaccine. I don't know whether it's one dose or both doses. It could just be one. One. To enter Queensland as an essential worker. And I know that this, the same thing in uh, Western Australia. So will those, will those conditions be lifted anytime soon? I don't think so. It doesn't matter... Obviously, at the moment in, in Sydney, you could say it's a hot a hot spot and it's extreme, but is that going to change once we're no longer a hot spot? Are those provisions going to be lifted to enter those states? To be honest, I don't think so. The main tourism body of Tasmania wants everybody that enters Tasmania to be fully vaccinated. So this is happening. It's happening yeah. now. And, and, the, and the key thing is, any one of those things you just mentioned, if you just said that to people... 20 months ago, oh, I imagined. they would have thought you're nuts yeah. and they would have been marching in the streets. Yeah. But I'll, I'll go back to that quote from that Hungarian Jew and what happened to the, what happened to the Jews was just atrocious. Uh, okay. Well, things didn't happen at once. Things happened very slowly. So each time a new law came out or a new restrictions, we said, well, just another thing it will blow over. And so we've got people now saying, I can't put up with this shit anymore. Just give me the bloody injection and get on with it. Yeah. And we've got people now just resigned to this bullshit. But what's at stake here? I'll go back to the three things. Health, this is harmful to people's health, not just their mental health, but physical health. Freedom, that's important for health. You, you, and the third one is gov governance and accountability. If you go back to freedom, a person on welfare today, Chris, lives better, longer, safer, healthier, more securely than a king or queen did 200 years ago. Yeah, that's, that's without right. a doubt. That's probably right. Yeah, without a doubt. A person today has got a longer lifespan, easier living 
more productive, more options for entertainment, education, travel, all of these things. That's come about in 170 years since 1850, the start of the Industrial Revolution. And when you look at this thing, it wasn't even invented 20 years ago and it's revolutionized life. When you look at these things, when you look at this, when you look at the computer I'm on and you're on, phenomenal. We've done that in 170 years. So we've gone slowly come out of the caves and a bit of farm work and then it's gone like this. That has been due to one thing, freedom. So I might have a brilliant idea. I give it to you and I share it to you because I've got freedom of thought, freedom of belief, freedom of sharing, freedom of exchange. And you say, geez, that's a bloody good idea, Malcolm. But if we tweak this, this, and this, blows it out of the water. And then you might share your idea now with someone else who's got a knack for entrepreneurship and, and selling and, and marketing. And providing it meets a good need, he or she will make billions out of it because we've shared that idea and refined it because humans are very, very creative. And so the whole of life, the whole of, the whole of humanity gets lifted slightly each time there's a new progress, right? And so the thing that's brought that around is freedom to think, freedom to speak, freedom to exchange, freedom to innovate, freedom to entrepreneur, freedom to travel, freedom to move, freedom to exchange fundamental freedoms every one of those freedoms is now being smashed every one of them and people are being conditioned and they're just saying oh bugger it who cares it's just a hopeless government or we just we just draw another pair of dick and balls on their ballot paper and away we go yeah. gotta stop gotta and stop. we're in charge of this country we're doing a lousy job as voters a lousy yeah. job we keep and tolerating this bullshit we do and look i hope uh this podcast wakes people up and they realise they've got to put in there. A lot of people are saying this has to change and we've got to do this and we've got to do that, but aren't taking action. So hopefully uh, this podcast will at least give that little bit more of a push to get up and do something. And it starts at the ballot. That's it. Yeah, speak speak to your friends. Talk about how you're upset with these things. Don't don't submit to the, the mind control of saying you're an anti-vaxxer just because you dare speak up about the government or you're a radical or you're an extremist or whatever, just speak up, talk to your family, listen, um, enter into, into discussions, debates, uh, vote, uh, just be active to look after your right to have a vote and who runs this and a say in who runs this country. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Senator, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. It's been good. Been talking for quite a while. <laughs> Mate, you're welcome back on any time. Just let me know, mate, jump on, and uh, hopefully next time we're in a bit of a better situation than we are at the moment. Well, that's what we're working on. So I've, it's been a pleasure to be here. Uh, I like your free and open approach. And, um, mate, I appreciate people like you who are just putting out a real, live, honest alternative with integrity. Thank you very much for what you're doing because you're keeping freedom and democracy alive and you're helping people to live better, healthier lives. Thank you, Senator. I appreciate it very much. Okay. See you, Chris. See, see you, mate.